0: every day that uh, you give us another opportunity to live and to serve you and Lord our, our, our slate is clean and our sins are washed away because of the blood of Christ and so Lord, we just can't thank you enough for that and for your grace towards us when we fall short. So help us today, Lord, to be mindful of your word that uh, if you're struggling here today in some area, Lord, that we pray that you would speak to those hearts. And Lord, just give them strength and encouragement. Help us as a church to continue to just reach out and love our neighbors uh, and to be there for them. And, And Lord, I just pray again for all those that are sick and just going through a tough time, that you would give them the healing and the comfort that they need and just bring them back to us soon. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to start this series. And I felt like the Lord brought me there just to lay the groundwork and the foundation for, for His view on marriage. Because when when you talk to people about marriage, everybody has an opinion. The world certainly has an opinion on what marriage should look like, what families should look like. Hollywood has painted a very, very false image of what families ought to look like. We have reality shows that paint These ideal pictures of marriages and families. Social media presents a picture that everybody's life is perfect. And if you live for any amount of time in the world in real time, you understand that that's just not the case. And so the Word of God paints a firm foundation for us about what marriage is, what it isn't, what we should expect from it, and ultimately what kind of spouse, what kind of believer ought we to be uh, in our life and so I hope that those are some of the questions that we can look at and answer today so we're going to we're going to look at the the first message in this series titled marriage designed by God and we're going to read from Genesis chapter 2 beginning at verse 18 down to verse 25 so if you're able would you stand with me one last time this morning we'll read God's word together and pray and then we'll get into the the meat of the message this morning so Genesis 2 beginning at verse 18 says this Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper, fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Lord, we pray for your blessing to be added to your word now, Lord, that you would increase and I would decrease, and that you would speak to the hearts of those that are here with us and those watching online. Lord, encourage us, strengthen us uh, today as we uh, are part of your family, part of your kingdom. And uh, as individuals, many of us have families that we love and cherish. Help us to be better stewards, better husbands, wives, children, Uh, grandparents in those families through your word and by your spirit and we give you thanks today in Jesus name amen thank you you may be seated I know that uh, Christmas was just a few weeks ago but it may seem like it's been months that have already passed just due to the way things have been the last couple of weeks but maybe you got a gift whether it was for your kids or for yourself and on the box you noticed that it said some assembly required as dads we don't really take that too seriously uh, because inside of there is, is this big instruction book, and there's usually a big list of parts. And we, we normally chuck that to the side and just dive right in. We get a chance to use our new tools that we hopefully got for Christmas, and so we're excited to start putting this thing together. But like most things, it's probably made in China, and so nothing fits as it ought to fit, and nothing goes together, and maybe you're missing parts. And so about 15 minutes into the assembly, you're aggravated and you're frustrated, and if you haven't thrown the thing in the trash can you dig out the instruction manual to try to figure out what's going on, why this thing won't go together, what's backwards and what's forwards and whatnot. And so I I use that illustration to say that we're probably all guilty at times of jumping into things and not really reading the instruction manual. I don't know if you're like me, sometimes you cook or bake certain things And you have to go back to the garbage can about five times and get the box back out because you've already thrown it away and you forget how long was it supposed to bake or what size pan were you supposed to use again. And so you're digging that box back out of the trash. But regardless, uh, Rosie's obviously done that a time or two. But regardless, um, we all are guilty at times of jumping into things without having a complete understanding of what we ought to be doing. And I think, sadly, that's true about marriage. You know, there are a lot of books, a lot of uh, advice out there about what marriage is, what isn't. But ultimately, the Word of God paints a picture for us about what God wants a marriage to look like. And I think for a lot of us, even as believers, we, we jump into something uh, and we don't really fully understand what marriage is to be like and, and what it's not to be like. And so I hope, like I said, that, uh, that we can look at this and understand that if, if you're married or considering marriage or maybe you've come out of a marriage, Uh, And right now you're saying, I don't want to even think about marriage uh, ever again, maybe. But I want to encourage you to just, whatever season you're in, allow God to work in your heart and in your life and prepare you and teach you, strengthen you in your faith, whatever you're going through. Because one thing I'm certain of being married myself now for almost 23 years is that marriage does require some assembly. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort on both sides uh, to, to make it work. And I'll say this that I feel like, and it's been this way for a while, it's not something that just started, but our families, guys, are under attack like never before. Families today, I mean, you know, a lot of emphasis is put on, and rightly so, uh, the failures of churches, the failures of pastors, the false doctrines that are being taught today in so, many tur- in so many churches. And a lot of people want to blame that for the woes of society. And I, I will certainly say that the weakness of the church has led to a lot of evil uh, and compromise in the world. There is no doubt about that. But I will also say this. The failures in the home. Have also largely impacted the way that we see society today. The shortcomings. Uh, and the, and the, the failure to be biblical. In our homes. Uh, has failed. And if, if our homes are not right. Even the greatest of churches will not save. A family and a marriage. You have got to put in the work. Outside of these walls. And in your own home if you want to see a marriage be biblical and be successful. There's just not simply enough hours, even if the church is open seven days a week, to be able to give you enough, minister to you enough, if you're not taking it serious for yourself in your own home. And so I want us to look at at this text today and just kind of get an idea of what God is doing here with our first parents, with Adam and Eve. And what was He exactly trying to establish in their lives and in every subsequent life that would follow? I want you to notice first, if you have a copy of the Scriptures with you, in, in verse 18, it says that, again, this was the work of the Lord God. Now, regardless of what translation you use, if, as long as it's an English translation, you're going to see in your text the word Lord is all capital letters. L-O-R-D, all capital. Anytime you see the word Lord in the Old Testament spelled out in all capitals, it is using the covenant name of God. We would call that Yahweh. Uh, All right, so that is just his personal covenant name. That is the name that the Jews wouldn't even speak because there was so much reverence and awe associated with it. And so, the Bible is describing here uh, God as the covenant God, but also just his generic title, if you will, the word God is Elohim, which could be translated Creator. So we, we have two, I believe, two things that we need to notice in this beginning opening that God is describing about himself. Uh, when he says that the Lord God said these things. He is speaking on a covenant level, on a personal level, to the first creatures created, saying that I know you intimately. Everything about you, everything about Adam, everything about Eve, came from the very mind and creative nature of God. He formed them from the dust of the earth and from the rib from Adam. And he had a personal relationship with them. They walked with him in the garden. They spoke with him. They fellowshiped with him. He gave them duties. He gave Adam the responsibility to name the animals. So there was a close, intimate relationship between God and the first created uh, people on earth. Now we understand that in the next chapter, sin is going to sever that relationship and that a Savior is going to have to come to restore us to the relationship that we had lost through sin. But nonetheless, God is a personal God. I want you to know that this morning. That you may feel that God is distant from you. You may feel that you are so bad that God wants nothing to do with you. You may have just wandered away from God and just don't feel that closeness anymore. But nothing that you can do can change God's attitude towards you. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more or to make God love you less. Because everything about God is centered on who He is, not who you are. God came to restore humanity that is broken there's nothing broken about God there's never been anything broken about God and so he is still a covenant-keeping God that loves his people and desires to commune with them but he certainly is our creator every one of us here today whether you're a believer an unbeliever an atheist an agnostic a different religion or not religious at all there's one creator there is one God who created all things including you and I you may not accept that you may not recognize him as that But He is Creator nonetheless. And so because of that, He has the ability to expect certain things from you and to ultimately hold you accountable. Whether or not you recognize Him on a personal level is a choice that you must make. But you will still be accountable to Him one day because He is your Creator. And He is your Lord. And the Bible does say that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so that is the reality that you can do that today uh, on a personal choice, receiving Him as Savior, or you can do that in judgment when you stand before Him to give an account from your life. But it will happen one way or another. But I think it's beautiful to notice that God uses these terms about Himself because He wants to have this intimate relationship. He wants to have a relationship within the family, within the household, where He is central in everything. And so often, one of the, one of the errors that I think married couple makes and one of, the, one of the issues that the enemy gets into our head is we look at our spouse, and if we're not careful, we begin to project onto them all the things that we want them to be. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that we are to try to make our spouses be better. The work needs to be done on ourselves. It is God working in us. The duty of, of, of anyone in a relationship is to be the best person that you can be. You can't change anyone else. That's only something that God can do. And so often our focus is on making our spouse better instead of ourselves becoming better. We all fall short. And if you look hard enough at anybody, you're going to find plenty of flaws and failures in their life. Nobody is perfect. But when you begin to dwell on those things and then the enemy tries to get you to say, well, this person isn't so perfect anymore. But if you had that person over there, look how perfect things would be. And it's real easy for us to begin to start to think and, and, and agree with unbiblical thoughts and unbiblical ideas. And so recognize those things when they come along. I want to try to equip you to see the attacks of the enemy and the negative thoughts and the unbiblical thoughts that so easily creep into us. Guys, we, we know that the grass sometimes looks greener on the other side of the fence. But when you get over there, you find out it's not. It's not. The grass is greener where you water it. And so it's up to us to take care of our own lawns, so to speak. And so God uses this covenant name because He's describing who He is both on a creational level uh, and on a covenant level to His first parents. But also notice that this is the first time in Scripture that God says something is not good. All through the Scriptures, everything that He has created, He's looked at it day after day and said, this is good and very good. But now He looks at man, uh, the, the apple of His eye, if you will, the, the, the pinnacle of His creation, And he says, it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper for him. Now, for some of you, you know all too well the experience of being alone. Loneliness is a difficult thing to go through. It's really difficult during the holiday seasons because there's so many people getting together and enjoying family and company. And if you don't have that or don't have an opportunity to do that, it can really wear on you emotionally. And so loneliness is a reality uh, for many, many people. And many people battle loneliness. And I'll say this, too. Loneliness doesn't always mean that you don't have people around you. You can be in a room full of people and be extremely lonely. Because real relationships are what sustains and fills that void in loneliness. It's not simply just having people around you. Having people around you at times can be comforting. But that still doesn't fulfill the role of a relationship. It doesn't fulfill the role of intimacy. It doesn't fulfill the need for you to be known and to be appreciated on that more personal covenant level. And so again, God recognizes this for Adam. He wasn't alone in the sense that he had the animals around him. God was with him. So he wasn't isolated and by himself. But he didn't have that personal, intimate relationship to share life with. And God recognizes that. And he says it's not good for you to be alone. And that really brings the question, maybe you've never thought about this, but I'm sure that most people have. Why did God create it all? Like, when you really come down to it, what was the purpose of God creating any of this? God completely existed eternally outside of any creation. He didn't need this. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need a world to be satisfied, there wasn't something missing in his life, and so he thought, well, to be truly happy, I need to create a universe with people in it so I have someone uh, to constantly save from their messes and their mistakes. That wasn't what God was doing. So why exactly would God create a world that he didn't need for any specific purpose? Uh, You know, that's probably too deep of a question for my small mind to answer or to even be able to begin to scratch the surface this morning. But I do want you to think about it a little bit in the context of this series that we're looking at because I think it's important when we we ask that question, why are we even here? What is the point of marriage and families and what are we supposed to do with life? What is the meaning of life? That's the big question that gets asked a lot too. Let me give you a couple of scriptures this morning to think about why God created all these things, including us. Isaiah 43 verse 7 tells us this. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created... For my glory, who I formed and made. So we see in the Scriptures one of the reasons why God created was to bring Himself glory. When you look at the, just the beauty and the immensity of the solar system as we get more and more powerful telescopes and we begin to see things farther and farther out and we understand that the universe is expanding at a rapid rate and we see that our little galaxy we thought was so huge is just one little speck in the midst of millions and billions of other galaxies and there are more stars in our grains of sand and just the, the beauty that we see all around us and, and just the beauty of life. Man, it just amazes me that people look at that and the Bible says things like the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth is handiwork. And we look and, and people worship the creature rather than the creator. It's amazing to me that people can look out there and say that this was an accident. To say that all this just happened to fall into place after a big bang and everything is perfectly ordered and sustained just by chance and fate. That takes more faith than I have. There was a time when I didn't believe in God uh, on a personal level, but I can't remember a time in my life where I ever thought that all that was an accident. Even in my unbelief, I believed that there had to have been something out there that set this thing in motion and put all this order in place. It's just too much harmony for that to have just happened. And so God created these things, he says, number one, to bring himself glory. Just looking around at the creation and understanding that this came from the mind of God, that he formed all these things from the word of his mouth. He deserves glory and praise for everything that we have and everything that we are. But not only that, when we look at the life of Christ, how did Christ bring glory and honor to the Father? Well, in John 5, 19, Jesus says these words. He says, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Think about this. This is the second member of the Trinity. This is God in flesh, and yet He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus came to be a reflection of, of God Himself. The book of Hebrews says He is the express image of God. He is the very imprint of God. When you look at Christ, you see God manifest in the flesh on earth. You see the One who created all of this stepping into His creation, becoming a part of it, walking among sinful people, dying a death that a criminal deserved so that we might be set free. What an amazing thing that God would love people enough to enter into this sinful world so that we could be reconciled to God. If you want to talk about love, if you want to talk about sacrifice, think about what Jesus did, not just on the cross, but just in coming, to just leave the glory of heaven. How many of you are believers here today are longing to go home and be in heaven? Well, I'll tell you what, when you get there, you probably aren't going to want to come back. But Jesus left all of that to come here and suffer. He didn't come here for a good time he left that to come here and suffer and die for people that hated Him. My goodness, think about the obedience and the sacrifice of that and the love that He extended towards us to do that. And so I bring that up to say I, I believe that Jesus is our example. Amen? The Bible shows us the life of Christ so that we through sanctification might live and be more like Him. If He's our example and Jesus lived in a, an obedient and surrendered life, to glorify the father we are to do the same and we do that in the mundane way of life guys not everything in life has to be some big event not everything has to be this just big big cataclysmic thing a lot of times we get so just bored with the routine don't we i get up i i go to work i come home i cook dinner i, I work clean the house and yada 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 and our lives just kind of get into a rut But in everything that we do, we are here for the purpose of bringing God. We don't have to just wait for big events. And one of the greatest ways that you can bring glory and honor to God is through your family life, through your home, through the way that you love one another and care for one another and forgive one another and show grace to one another. There is no greater stage for you to glorify God than your home. Your home is the front lines, guys. I know we put a lot of emphasis on church, but God created the family long before He created the church. Family is your first ministry. The church is a supplement to that. So many people want the church to replace the family. They want the church to do all the heavy lifting when it comes to spirituality in the home. Listen, we love your kids. We want to love on your kids. We want to teach them and help them. But we can't replace you, and we're not called to do that in the home the responsibility of parents and to one another is to train up those kids in the Word of God, to study the Word together, to live the Word, and to show grace to one another when you fall short. That's the example that you can set every day in your home, in the routine and in the mundane ways of life. Not everything is big and exciting, but it's big and exciting when you understand the grand scheme of things. So when you think about the home and the unity, The Bible describes us, this marriage relationship, as being a picture of Christ and his bride, the church. Listen to how the Apostle Paul says it in Ephesians 5, verses 31 and 32. He quotes the Old Testament here saying, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We read that in Genesis, but now listen to what he says. This mystery, so the word mystery there means something that's previously unknown. This is a new teaching at the time Paul wrote this. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it, what is the it? A man leaving his father and mother and cleaving to his wife this first marriage relationship. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The way that Jesus, the bridegroom, loves his bride, the church, is exemplified in our marriages you say well wait a minute how can that be well again marriage for a lot of people is just a contract but that's not the way that God describes it marriage is a covenant it is a commitment made before God yes we've turned it into a civil thing where there is a magistrate or a pastor that signs on behalf of the state and we're recognized as a married couple legally but marriage before it is ever a civil thing is a covenant thing before God You are married in the eyes of God and the state, not the state and God. So understand that for a believer, that relationship that is entered into is a commitment for life between that one man and that one woman. Now, I understand that, unfortunately, in a fallen world, things happen that are irreconcilable and divorce is a reality, even though it's not what is often sought out. Or what is wanted. We understand that it happens. We understand that there is grace in those situations. And forgiveness available. But I believe that God wants us to fight fiercely. For our marriages and our homes. And too often people are just unwilling. To put in the work. And then they begin to think about. The other person. And all the things that the other person should have done. And all the things that the other person should be. And it becomes a blame game. And you'll never make any progress. Pointing fingers at one another. And we'll talk about some of that in the weeks ahead. But I want you to see what God does here. He looks at a situation. He says, it's not good that this man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Now, God had created a lot of other things, nature and animals and whatnot. But none of those things were fit for him. They were not explicitly designed to fulfill that relationship, that relational role that God wanted to happen. And so he's going to create someone that will fulfill that role and in any home, it takes three people to be successful, a man, a wife, and, a God, and God. It takes those three. And God is going to lay that foundation. If, if you try to do this apart from God, it will not work if you're a believer. It just will not work. You, it's like taking out the instructions and you're trying to put this thing together and you're trying to make it work. And in some ways, it will work. You know, you can, you can screw the screw in wrong and get it, and then you know, get a little glue and try to fix it up and paint it up where you messed it up. But in the end of the day, if you want it to go God's way, you have to do it according to God's Word. That's the only way it's going to work. And so, God says, I'm going to make a helper. That word is a military term. Think about if someone is in distress, if someone has fallen into uh, a situation where they need help and, and his brothers and sisters come alongside and, and help him out. That's the idea that God is saying, I'm going to send someone that can come alongside and be a helper, a helpmeet, someone that is there through thick and thin, to be there and to be a companion. Somebody said that when you think about the marriage, if you have God at the top and picture it like a triangle, the closer you work together to get to God, the closer you get. So if you're down here and God's at the top and you're working together towards God, you're becoming closer yourselves. And I think that's a great illustration to think about the fact that even though the Bible describes the woman as the helper, the man is a helper as well. We help one another, uh, we, we support one another and encourage one another through the Word of God and through, uh, through obedience to Him. And so the Bible says that God is going to make a helper fit for him or suitable for him. I want to read to you again from the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 8 and 9. And and think about this for a moment, especially in our world today. Paul writes there that man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Now, reading that in today's society would immediately get a lot of folks upset because they would say, oh, see, the Bible is chauvinistic and and, and it's putting down women and it's, it's, it's elevating the superiority of man and putting women under their feet as slaves. And unfortunately, there have been people over the centuries that have used the Scripture in a twisted way to make women somehow subservient to man. And that is not what the Bible is describing at all. But the Bible does describe different roles within the family. There are different roles. Man and woman, husband and wife, are absolutely equal on a personal level. Man is not greater or better than the woman as a human being. Uh, In the Jewish culture, women were second-class citizens. They were basically property, as were children. And that was an unbiblical way of looking at that type of relationship. The Bible does not describe the relationship as such. Man and women are equal in value, but they differ in roles. And that is again where we see society today and the fallenness of creatures and creation being so wicked as it is that all these roles have flipped upside down now. The roles in the home have been completely disregarded and replaced and the result of that is we see so many homes falling apart. And I'll say this and and I'm not trying to be intentionally tough on anyone this morning or to try to upset you this morning but I do want to be somewhat firm in the way I describe this, because I see it so often. One of the things that pastors do besides preach and work one hour a week on Sunday, believe it or not, we do have a lot of other stuff that goes on, and I'll tell you this, that over the years, one of the biggest things that I've had the privilege to do, but also sometimes uh, the discouraging thing that has to be done is counseling. Because you see and hear all of the struggles and all of the fallings and failings, and you want to do everything you can to help. But oftentimes when it reaches the stage where you're in an office and counseling has started, things have gotten to a point where it's so bad that short of God intervening miraculously, it's too late. We often wait too long to finally yell for help. And so I'm hopeful that even if you're here this morning and your family is going well and your marriage is going well, that you would consider some of these things before it becomes a problem. Because God says that there are different roles in the home. And so often today, the children run the house. I'm just going to be honest. The kids run the house. And one of the ways that the kids run the house is we ask them their opinion on everything. I don't know. I, maybe, it, maybe it was just I wasn't, I didn't get a good roll of the dice. But in, in my family, I got n- no offers of my opinion being asked. When something was to be done, it was going to be done. Or I was done. I did, there wasn't baby cakes. What do you want for dinner tonight? Do you, want, do you want me to go to Chipotle for you? Or would you like me to go, we ate what we ate. Or we didn't eat. I, I knew I knew where the fridge was if I needed something. And, you know, and, I, and I'm not going to harp on this today at least. But I'll say this, another thing that, that just I don't understand is, and, and it, always, it always seems to come up around church. And people will say this, especially when their kids reach teenage years. My, my child doesn't want to go to church, and I don't want to force them because I don't want them to not like religion. If you don't force them at 18 and say, man, wonderful, mom and dad let me choose, and now that I'm 18 and the whole world is in front of me, I'm going to start going to church. That is not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And listen, you don't give them a choice on anything else. You don't, the alarm doesn't go off in the morning, and I doubt that you come in and say, baby, do you want to go to school today? If you don't feel like it, stay home. I don't, I don't want you to dis, dislike school. You need to brush your teeth, take a bath. But if you don't want to, it's okay, because I, I don't want you to dislike water and dislike your toothbrush. So just do what you want. It's ridiculous. We wouldn't think of saying that, but we have no problem saying that about church. And and I'm of the opinion, listen, if if they don't have a relationship with Jesus, they're not going to like church. Nobody is. You can go through the motions to feel morally better and check the box and say, well, I went to church today. God's happy with me. But church will not be an essential part of your life if you're not a believer. It can't be. You're not connected to it. You're not part of that covenant community. We love you. We welcome you here. We want folks that don't know Jesus to come here. But you are not going to be drawn to the beauty of the church and the relationship of other believers until you are one yourself. That's just the reality of it. That is just the reality of it. And so I am of the opinion, I believe the Bible is of the opinion, that as the parents, we tell our kids what to do. We don't ask them what they ought to do. And coming to church is non-negotiable whether they hate it, whether they don't hate it. You're putting too much responsibility on yourself. You can't make your kids like church any more than you can make your kids get saved. But I can guarantee you this, they won't get saved Sunday morning sitting at home on the Xbox while you're here. I guarantee it. I guarantee that they're not uh, playing Call of Duty with their friends discussing the Gospels while they kill each other. I guarantee you that. Bring them here whether they hate you, whether they hate it, whether they hate me, bring them here. Because I believe if they're here and they hear this, God can do something with them. But don't just bring them here to hear it. They ought to be hearing it at home. And so when we think about it, there are different roles. There are different responsibilities. And the, and the world has tried to say, well, well, women can do anything that men can do. And, and men should be subservient. And the kids, and, and everything is upside down, guys. And we have got to understand that at some point we have to say, this isn't working. And it's not going to work. It's not going to work because we've taken God's plans and we've flipped them all upside down. And, and, and in our, our folly and our foolishness to try to do it our way, everything is a mess. And anytime time we try to do it our way, it usually gets into a mess. And so we see things like feminism and chauvinism and all those things part of our world. And it's not going to get any better until we get back to, I believe, the foundations doing it the way god has intended it to be done don't don't think if you're here this morning you think well my kids are almost grown now and it's too late or my marriage is too far gone guys that's that's that negative thinking that the enemy wants to keep you in we read for our confession verse his mercies are new every morning you have an opportunity every every day to start over again if you've blown it up until this point chalk it up as a learning experience and say moving forward i'm going to do it god's way I'm going to trust that things can get better. I'm not standing up here this morning saying that if you just do it God's way, everything will be perfect. Your marriage will be perfect. Your life will be perfect. I'm not going to preach that false prosperity gospel to you because the reality is there are plenty of godly people that do it God's ways and their marriage still doesn't work out. I understand that. It's part of living in a fallen world. But I'm telling you that you have a much greater chance of success and a much greater chance of God's blessing being upon your life if you do it His way than if you don't. And that is the reality of it. And so, God sees this problem, and I want you to notice this because I think this is important for us as people. We kind of talked about this in Sunday school. God says it's not good that you should be alone. I'm going to make a helper. But then notice something. He doesn't make the helper in the very next verse, does he? What does he do in verses 19 and 20? He identified the problem, and then he goes and says, Adam, here's all these animals. Get busy naming them. And he's marching these animals in front of Adam, pairs two by two, male and female. Adam's naming them, here comes the next one. God just told him there was a problem, that it wasn't good, but he didn't fix the problem right off the bat. Why is that? Why didn't God just say, this isn't good, here's a wife for you, immediately. He made, God, made Adam wait for a little bit. I believe, the Bible doesn't come right out and say this, but I believe that through other scriptures and, and knowing the way that God works, I think we could safely say that God, number one, is teaching Adam something. He's teaching him faith. He's teaching him patience. He's teaching him to, he can rely on God. God told him, it's not good. I'm going to make a helper for you. And then he made Adam wait. And he does that in our lives so often, too, does he not? How many times do we pray and then not get an answer? And we pray and not get an answer, and we think God doesn't care. God must have failed. God must not be real. We have all those thoughts. But if we would just walk in faith and hold on, if God makes a promise, he is faithful to keep it. He's teaching Adam something. I think he's also creating a desire in Adam. Adam sees all these creatures together, male and female animals partnered together, and he's like, man, everything else has that relationship but me. And I think through that, God was creating a desire in him because a lot of times God gives us good things and we're so ungrateful for them. How many things has God blessed you with that you don't even thank him for? And I think oftentimes God makes us wait because he wants to create that desire in us so that when we finally get what we want, we'll be thankful for it. We won't just abuse it and misuse it and set it aside, take it for granted. If God has given you a spouse, if God has given you children, if God has given you a home, do you get up every day and thank him for that? Or or did you used to thank him, but now it's just kind of become routine? You see, we, we, we become so ungrateful so easy. And God wants to create a desire. I think He was creating that desire in Adam. And I think He was cultivating a, a gratitude in him. That when Eve finally arrives, it's a big deal. Look at, look at our text in verse 23. You don't see it in the English language, but after God causes Adam to fall asleep and He takes out a rib and He creates this woman, and the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. The, the Hebrew language there is, is so expressive. He's, he's literally shouting, at last, this is the one I've been waiting for, finally. I mean, think about it. He had never seen anything like this. And God had created the perfect one for him to have this relationship with. And God perhaps has put that person in your life. They're not perfect. You know that. Any amount of time spent with them has revealed that they're not perfect. And guess what? They know you're not either. But one of the things that we read earlier was it's a picture of Christ in the church. Christ is the bridegroom. We are the bride. Christ receives us as his bride, even though we're imperfect. You know why? Because he shows grace. Because he shows mercy. Because he is faithful when we're not. And that is the way that we should strive to live in our lives with our spouses and our children. They are going to blow it. They are going to let you down. They are going to sin against you. They're going to hurt your feelings and break your heart. And that doesn't mean you just ignore the pain. It doesn't mean that you set it aside and don't acknowledge it. But if you don't show grace when they fall short, you're in for a long, rough road in your family. Because we all need grace. We all need understanding. We all have days where we come home and we're tired, we're aggravated, and we take it out on the people that we love. And it can turn into a war real quick if our homes are not a stable place where grace and love is produced every day. It's so important for us. And so I want us to finish up. We'll, 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 we'll wrap up with verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That word hold fast or cleave, it literally means skin on a bone. So think about that type of relationship, the closeness. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 6, That they are no longer two but one flesh, and what God has joined together, let no man separate. When we, when we think about that time in, in the Garden of Eden, and God creates... He didn't create for Adam parents, did he? He didn't say it's, good, it's not good that man is alone. He needs some, some good godly parents. And he didn't say it's not good that man is alone. I'm going to create some children for him to raise. He didn't do that either, did he? He said, I'm going to make a helper that's fit for him, suitable, right out of his rib, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And he will leave subsequent generations. The man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh again one of the biggest problems today is that the home is built around the children i hear people say it and i understand i'm a father too and i get the under i get what you're saying when people say i would do anything for my kids i would die for my kids but look when the child is born the cord is cut And for the next 18 years, you're preparing them to leave the home and become their own people. And so often, we focus so much and put so much emphasis. The wife is busy taking the kids all over. The husband is working 70 hours a week to pay all the bills. And for the next 18 years, that's the relationship. The husband and wife pass like ships in the night. The mom's wore out from doing everything with the kids. The husband's exhausted because he works all the time and he barely gets to do anything on his own. or or when he comes home, he's expected to do stuff around the house, and he's tired, the wife's tired, and for the 18 years, that's the relationship, and then the kids leave, and guess what? You're two strangers in the house. For 18 years, you guys have grown apart, and you don't even know each other anymore. You just kind of coexist. I mean, you know each other well enough, you've lived together for 18 years, so there's a relationship there, but it hasn't grown and flourished. It hasn't become stronger over the years. You're just existing. And that is the case for so many people as they reach midlife. You're not happily married. You're just cohabitating. You're just existing. And it's because you've put so much emphasis and so much focus on your kids that you failed to cultivate that relationship between the two of you, which, according to the Word of God, is the primary relationship in the home. It's not the mom and the son. It's not the dad and the daughter. It's the husband and the wife. The kids will leave the house. They should leave the house. They should start their own families. And boy, that's tough. I'm not looking forward to that day. I'm not. But it's part of the duty of parents is to raise their kids and prepare them and set a foundation so that they can become believers in Christ and ultimately folks that bring Him glory in their own homes. But are you cultivating your marriage all along the way? Are you working together To be the people that God wants you to be. Because one day those kids. They'll be gone. And that house will be big and quiet and empty. If you guys don't know how to communicate with each other. If you haven't nurtured that relationship. And so I want to close with with this thought today. And again I know there are different people in here. With different backgrounds and different walks of life. And so you may be in a different. You may be single. You may be divorced. You may be happily married. I don't know where you're at today. But I feel like it, at some point we'll cover where you're at in this series. But I want to say, say this today as we close. A lot of people feel like they aren't where they ought to be with God. They feel as though their relationship with God is lacking. And so their answer to that is, I need to read through the Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to come to church more. And all of those things are wonderful. I'm not discouraging you from doing those things. But if your relationship with God is not where it ought to be, can I ask you this? How is your home life? Because I can almost guarantee you this after 23 years in marriage or in marriage and ministry too. If your home life is not right, your walk with God won't be either. It just won't be. It will not be. You can't have a healthy, vibrant relationship with your Creator while your home life is suffering. If you want to get things right with God... I believe it starts wholeheartedly on the home level, on the home front. If you want to see things with God begin to get back to where it needs to be, love your wife. Love your husband. Raise up your kids in the Word of God. Do the things that God wants you to do in your home, and you will experience Him him in such a way, a real tangible way, even in the mundane stuff, that that relationship with Him will begin to flourish again. I can promise you that if you will just take me at my word or better yet at the Bible at its word and do this. You will see a change begin to take place in you spiritually if you nurture your home life. I believe church now more than ever. We got to fight for our families. The enemy has had a field day for too long with our families. He is destroying homes. He is wrecking lives. He has children so confused he has parents so burnt out. He has spouses on edge with each other. And we have got to fight for our families. We have got to fight, church. We need to be on our face every day praying for one another. Living that life out. Listen, I know it's nice to have stuff. But if you've got to go to your boss tomorrow and say, Hey, i got some things going on at home. And it's going to be 40 hours for me until I get it figured out. And go home at 3.30 or 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock or whenever your eight hours is up. And go home and love your wife. And wives, I know you're tired. You've been home all day taking care of the house and doing a million things. But make some time for your husband. Make some time for him. I know sometimes guys don't talk all that much. And sometimes women, all they do what they want to do is talk. But guys, you need to listen. You need to spend some time and just listen. And ladies, you just need to give your guys some time to just sit there with you. Maybe he do not have much to say, but just being there with him is what he needs. So I'm going to invite the praise team, or at least Tiffany and Brian, to come. And we're going to open up the altar. If you want to come and pray, you can. If you want to pray where you're at. But I want to just challenge us as a church in today's message and in the coming messages. Guys, let's fight for our homes. Let's fight for our kids. Let's fight for our marriages. It's worth it. It's worth it. I know sometimes it feels easier to throw up your hands and quit. But please, if God has drawn you today, make that commitment to Him that you're not going to give up without a fight. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today just asking you, Lord, to work in our hearts and in our lives. All of us have felt the struggle of marriage, the difficulties. Maybe uh, we went through some, some difficult marriages and ultimately didn't work out, Lord. But I'm thankful that you love us despite that. I'm thankful that you're here for us, and I'm thankful that we have hope in you that's greater than our past, that's greater than our experiences. And so, Lord, I'm praying for those here today that are married, that that needed just a a touch from you, Lord, in their homes, that you would help them today to begin to work towards that. I pray for those that are just hurting, Lord, and, and just in a bad place right now in their lives, that, that right now you would speak to their hearts and show them that you love them, that you care for them, that they're not here by accident today. And Lord, I pray for the kids that have maybe grown up in difficult homes, that you administer to them and that you'd work in their hearts and, and let them understand that maybe they haven't had the best mother or the best father, but they have a heavenly father that loves them and, and cares for them in ways that our earthly parents never can. And so Lord, just have your way in this invitation. And most of all, if someone here today doesn't know you, I pray that they would come and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and as we sing.